It is the best-selling book in history. No volume ever written has been more loved and quoted. And its words, sometimes simple and sometimes mysterious, should always be studied carefully. It is the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, providing accurate and practical answers to all your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor. Hi friends, would you like to hear an amazing fact? Mansa Musa king of the Mali Empire during the 14th century was the first African ruler to be widely known throughout Europe and the Middle East. During his reign, he ruled over the most productive gold mines in Africa and controlled the lucrative salt trade. Many historians believe he may have been the richest person to have ever lived. A devout Muslim, he's famous for his 1,400-mile Hajj pilgrimage to Mecca in the years 1324 and 1325. His caravan is said to have consisted of 60,000 people carrying supplies and baggage, 500 slaves, each carrying a gold-plated staff, and up to 100 camels that were carrying 300 pounds of gold dust. It's reported that when he stopped every Friday for the Muslim holy day while on his pilgrimage to Mecca, he ordered that a mosque be built on the spot. On his journey, Mansa Musa also stopped at multiple locations such as Timbuktu, Cairo, Medina, Historians say that he gave away so much gold to the poor, it caused hyperinflation in these cities and the value of gold collapsed for a decade. It's estimated that during his reign, Mansa Musa was worth about $900 billion in today's currency. Did you know the Bible talks about another kingdom that had much more gold than the Mali Empire? Stay with us, friends. We're going to learn more in this edition of Bible Answers Live. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, accurate and practical answers to your Bible questions. Welcome, friends, to Bible Answers Live. If you've got a Bible-related question, any question related to the Word of God, the Bible, or living the Christian life, we welcome. And we'll do our best. We don't have all the answers, but we've got some good Bible resources at our fingertips. 800-463-7297. We're also streaming. If you've got a Facebook account, you can simply go to the Doug Batchelor Facebook page or the Amazing Facts Facebook page, and you'll see what's happening here visually as well as being able to call in your question. My name is Doug Batchelor. My name is Jean Ross. Good evening, friends, and Pastor Doug, as we always do. Let's start the program with prayer. Dear Father, once again, we thank you that we're able to open up your word and study together. We ask your blessing to be with us here in the studio and those who are listening uh, across the country and even around the world. And Lord, lead us into a clearer understanding of what the Bible teaches. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pastor Doug, you opened the program talking about a very wealthy king. Of course, he lived back in the 1300s, but uh, if you were to add up his value back then and translated that into uh, dollars today, that would definitely make him the wealthiest man alive. Yeah, if you were to add up what uh, we know about the wealth of Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and many others, all of them combined together many times over does not equal $900 billion. It's just a phenomenal amount. But, you know, I believe it 
because you can read in the Bible there was a king who lived after David. He's famous. He's the, the son of David named Solomon. And it tells us that during the reign of Solomon that uh, he, there was so much gold in the kingdom. And you've got to keep in mind that part of it is through trade. Uh, Solomon controlled the center bridge between three continents there in the land of Israel. His empire was probably the most vast during the days of Israel's history, but it reached down into Egypt and Africa, up into Asia and over towards Europe and the Middle East. And, and all of the trade routes, they couldn't go across the desert that was to their uh, east. They went through the Jordan Valley and he got a tariff of everything that went through. And it tells us that he had ships with the Phoenicians that went to Ophir and they got gold. Tells us the average income of gold for Solomon was 601, it's an interesting number, 666 talents of gold. And you figure that out at an Egyptian talent, 75 pounds, it's about 50,000 pounds of gold a year. But that still is not 900 billion. But when you look in the Bible, it does talk about another king and another kingdom. You read in Revelation 21, verse 18, speaking of the new Jerusalem in heaven, the construction of its walls was fine of jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass. There were 12 gates and there were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl and the streets of the city were pure gold like transparent glass. Talk about a lot of gold and a wealthy kingdom. There was no earthly kingdom that will ever compare with the kingdom that God has prepared for those that love him. Now, folks don't have problems believing that there was a king named Mansa Musa who uh, had 60,000 people that joined him on a pilgrimage. But some people struggle believing that God has this city that he's prepared. And I don't know why. I believe everything else in the Bible. You can believe what it says about heaven, and he is building a place for you. We have a free offer that talks about that. Our book, our free offer this evening, is called Heaven, Is It For Real? And it deals with this uh, wonderful truth that God is preparing a place for those that love him. We'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. You just need to call our resource phone line, which is 800-835-6747. And you can ask for the book called Heaven, Is It For Real? And we'll be happy to send that to you. Again, that's 800-835-6747. And if you have a Bible question, our phone line here to the studio is 800-463-7297. And it looks like we have some lines open. It's a good time to pick up your phone and give us a call. That's 800-463-7297. Well, Pastor Doug, I think we're ready to go to our first caller. We have Mike listening in St. Louis, Missouri. Mike, welcome to the program. Hi, how are you guys doing tonight? Good. Thank you for calling. Well, my, con my question, let me, let me open my Bible. My question concerns Hebrew chapter 4, verse 9. It says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. And my question is that I heard that uh, that this is the Christian Sabbath that this is referring to. And the Christian Sabbath is that 1,000-year period that begins with the first resurrection in the book of Revelation. Well, where in the Bible would it say the Christian Sabbath is different from the Sabbath of the Ten Commandments? I mean, everything else in the Ten Commandments is for Christian and Jew. I wonder sometimes people say that, well, under the Christian dispensation, the Ten Commandments are for the Jews and the Christians have something different. And I say, all right, well, where's that scripture? And I don't see a scripture anywhere that says that Christians are exempt from any of the commandments. 
or there's a different one. Back to your question in Hebrews chapter 4. When you look in Hebrews 4 and it says, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God, the word rest there that is used is, it's sabbatismos. Okay. And that's the word that is talking about the same as the, the Christian Sabbath. So there's still the keeping of a Sabbath. And, it, you know, there's no question. He says, a little earlier, God spoke in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise. He's talking about the seventh day Sabbath. But he's using the Sabbath saying when, you know, the children of Israel came into the promised land, they were to rest from their journeying, their constant wandering in the wilderness. But that's temporary because we all get old and die. But the rest that Jesus offers us in heaven is an eternal rest. But that's a separate question. You know, Christians all still need that day where we come together, we rest physically, and we worship God. We rest from our work. It's one of the commandments that is still needed today and very valid. Okay. I have to think about what you said. I'm not really sure. I'm kind of confused a little bit, but not much. Well, can we, if you'd let us, we'll send you, we have a free resource we can send you. We got a great website that talks about this subject too. It's just called sabbathtruth.com and you can go there anytime and take a look at it. There's a number of uh, great resources there. You know, Pastor Doug, one verse that does come to mind, um, we do have an example in the New Testament, actually in the book of Acts, of Gentile believers also keeping the Sabbath. And we find this in Acts chapter 13, verse 42, and I'll just read it. It says, when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. So on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. So this is Paul preaching, and they were both Jewish believers and then Gentile believers, and they were keeping the Sabbath. They were worshiping. They came together to worship on the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. We hope that helps a little bit, Mike. We appreciate your question, and take a look at that website, Sabbath Truth. Com. Next caller that we have is Patrick listening in Canada, Toronto, Canada. Patrick, welcome to the program. How are you? Good. Thank you for calling. I have a question. Um, I'd like to find out how important and how often should uh, Christian families have worship? Great question. I wish more people were asking that question. Uh, let me read a verse to you from Deuteronomy chapter f uh, 6, verse 6. Now, in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, uh, Moses repeats the Ten Commandments. And then in chapter 6, he says, These words that I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently. The word diligently the, means, you know, with, with enthusiasm and energy, zealously. Teach them diligently, carefully to your children. You'll talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lay down, that's the evening, when you rise up, that's the morning. And so in our family, we typically had morning and evening worship. And sometimes it could be you know, when they're young, you can't make it too long or they get uh, distracted. But, you know, pray with them, try and give them uh, some verses. You get a little older, you can maybe read a, a one-page devotional. If you make it long, it can become grueling. But just let them know that God is the center of our lives and commit them to the Lord for the day. And then the end of the day, uh, you talk to them about, you know, having their hearts right and if they need to repent having worship with your kids every day and then teaching them to have their own personal worship, uh, their own prayer time, quiet time with God every day. It's important. It says, otherwise they will drift. Solomon says, raise your children up in the way they should go. How do you do that? Regular daily worship, as well as of course, your weekly worship that you have with other believers, but family worship, very important. Abraham, wherever he went, he built an altar for his family and they would offer sacrifice. He had family worship at every new location he'd build an altar. 
Thank you. I hope that helps a little. Appreciate your question, Patrick. Yes, you bet. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. You know, we also have an example, just one more Bible character. Looking here at Job, Job gave an example of in the morning he would offer sacrifice on behalf of his family. So he recognized the importance of worship in the morning and in the evening. And uh, we see that example throughout the Bible. Next caller that we have is uh, Noah listening from Illinois. Uh, Noah, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you, guys. How's your guys' evening going? Good. Doing well. How about you? <laughs> Pretty good. I'd love to get these uh, uh, videos on YouTube, too. Well, thank you. Um, my question is, you know how Ruth was David's great-grandmother? Yes. Is it possible that David met Ruth in real life? It is possible. There's no scripture that tells us one way or the other because it doesn't tell us the lifespan of Ruth or Boaz, for that matter. I don't think it tells us the lifespan of Boaz in Chronicles. Uh, now, keep in mind, David was the youngest, and it also tells us that when when David was became king, Jesse, his father, was already an old man. Uh, Jesse, you know, had several sons. Uh, there's a little little bit of controversy in that. One place it says that David, there were seven sons of Jesse. Another place it says eight, but he may have lost one. So in any event, David being the youngest, his great-grandmother would have been pretty old, but it's not inconceivable that he had met her. She depends on how long she lived. Yeah, because I was, well, I'm like reading my Bible, and I'm, at that point I was just wondering if they met. Wouldn't that be wonderful to know? Yeah, uh, I, I think we're going to have to wait to get to heaven you know, it wasn't very different from the time of Ruth is also the time of Sol- uh, Samson, if I remember correctly. When you look in the judges, uh, she probably had some interesting stories to tell about the age that she lived in, too. Ruth with Samson there. So Ruth and Samson pretty much met, possibly. It's possible. There's no scripture that tells us how old she was. So all we can do is guess. Okay, thank you. We're clarifying that. All right. Hey, thank you so much. Did you know that Noah was present at the birth of Abraham? Okay, maybe he wasn't in the room, but he was alive and probably telling stories about his floating zoo. From the creation of the world to the last day events of Revelation, BibleHistory.com is a free resource where you can explore major Bible events and characters, enhance your knowledge of the Bible, and draw closer to God's Word. Go deeper. Visit BibleHistory.com. For over 50 years, Amazing Facts has shared the wonderful news of salvation and provided millions of Bible resources to people all over the world. We've built churches in India, proclaimed God's Word in China, and have sent free Bible studies around the globe. Today's program and free resources were made possible by our ministry partners, caring individuals like you. If you've been blessed by Amazing Facts, would you please consider partnering with us to reach others with the Bible truth? Your financial support today will help keep programs like this on the air so the blessings you've received can be shared with others. To find out more about becoming a ministry partner, please visit our website at amazingfacts.org. For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com or call 1-800-538-7275. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS.
Next caller that we have is Diane listening from California. Diane, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call, and thank you for this wonderful program that you guys have. Well, thank you. Um, my question is, there's there's a list of birds and the uh, unclean animals in the Bible, and unclean birds in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. And my question is, how accurate can, uh, can we rely on that list as being both accurate, to, true to the birds that we have today, and also complete, comprehensive? You know, maybe there's birds that they had then that we don't have now, and vice versa. Um, and it's specifically, I'm wondering about like turkeys and chickens because most people think those are clean, but I have a hard time believing that they're clean because their natural diet is small reptiles like frogs and snakes and lizards, and and they're so different from granivorous birds like pigeons and sparrows and doves and partridge and stuff, which I have raised before. So I'm just wondering how that can be. Yeah. Well, first of all, the some of the birds that are mentioned, there's when you go from Hebrew to English, and these are very rarely used Hebrew words in the old, in the old language, they wonder what was that? Was it a pelican? Was it a swan? So there's, you know, there's some ambiguity, but keep in mind when it comes to the clean and unclean animals, there's a rule for the fish that covers everything. You don't need to know the name of every fish. The rule is if it has fins and scales, needed both conditions. There's a rule for the mammals. It needed to be cloven-footed and shoe the cud, two characteristics to make a mammal clean for food. And then the characteristic for birds is not given in such a way, but what it does is it kind of establishes a pattern. The raptors were called unclean. That would be your, you know, your hawks and your eagles and your vultures, your swans. It seems like the only birds that were said to be clean were what you would call the foraging birds. Those are your birds, your pheasant, pigeons, now, the ancient chickens and turkeys were all in that category, and it is true they eat bugs and stuff. A lot of fish eat bugs, too. They're in the clean category. <laughs> they eat bugs, and they eat little fish. In order for something to be clean, it wasn't required that it be a vegetarian. The birds we know that are clean, like pigeons and sparrows and things, they strictly eat grains and seeds. And the, uh, the chickens and turkeys don't in their natural environment. They don't eat that. So that's what I'm just saying. Like, how much should we use our own judgment versus like what the Bible? Oh, well, I'm a vegetarian. So I'll tell you what my judgment is. I don't eat any of them. But if a person's going to eat meat, I think you ought to be wise about it. And, and you know, I've <laughs> it's not just what the animals eat. I mean, just even the conditions today. You know, one reason that the world is having a coronavirus scare right now, and it, it, it is a, a real concern, is because people who are breeding animals for food, and sometimes exotic animals in close contact, got cold, got viruses exchanged with them. That's also how the SARS epidemic and the, um, oh, the bird flu, and mm -hmm. it all comes from that. The swine flu, that's where it gets its name. So I think people are a lot better off if we're not breeding animals in mass to devour them. So, yeah, I don't eat chicken. I don't eat turkey. <laughs> but you were, I think you were biblically, they did fit in the clean category. So you just got to be honest about it. They were in the foraging category. But not every bird, not every fish, not every mammal is mentioned in the Bible because there's thousands of them. So they give us principles. Okay. 
Thank you. Good thought. Appreciate that. Thanks so much. You know, we do have a study guide. Others might have questions about this. Um, we do have a study guide. It's called God's Free Health Plan, and it talks about what does the Bible say about food, not just uh, the clean and un- unclean animals, but general health principles that we can find in the Bible. We'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. The number is 800-835-6747. And again, you just ask for that study guide. We'll be happy to send it to you. It's called God's Free Health Plan. Next caller that we have is Angela listening in uh, Tallahassee, Florida. Angela, welcome to the program. Hello, Pastor Bachelor. Pleasure to be speaking with you because I listen to you practically every day on Facebook. And, you know, with this coronavirus scare, I just wanted to know how does it correlate with what the Bible says about the end times. I mean, this a lot of people are frightened by this outbreak. How is it related? Does it mean that God, Jesus, is on his way back to earth? Can you answer this question for me? Yeah, no, I'm glad you asked that question. I'll tell you a little, a little secret. I, I told Karen before I left the house tonight, I said, if nobody asks me, Karen, call in. Now, Karen has never called in a Bible question in all these years. She said, oh, they'll know my voice. I said, what? They won't care. Call in. Ask me about the coronavirus because <laughs> someone is thinking that. I'm so glad that you called in and now Karen's off the hook. Well, first of all, you don't find coronavirus in the Bible. But what you do find is the Bible says that there are going to be plagues. Now, let me read this to you. When the disciples, Matthew 24, disciples are asking Jesus about the last days and And he tells them, look, you know, it's not going to happen just yet. Verse 7, Matthew 24, verse 7, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines. He's saying all around the world through history, there's going to be wars. There's going to be famines. And then he says pestilence. That word pestilence is the same as the word plague. It's talking about diseases and uh, that can be caused by microscopic, you know, agencies. And then this is what's happening with the coronavirus is uh, we've had some serious plagues before. Some of you in California and other parts remember when they had the West Nile virus. Got some dear friends that uh, one contracted that. And then you've got the SARS and the, the Middle Eastern virus and the H1N1 flu. And there's still some very, very virulent, dangerous uh, flus that are out there. Now, some of them they've developed some, you know, inoculations for and vaccines, but they may not get one developed for the coronavirus for, well, they say nine months or a year. And places where it hits, it's spreading and it does have a higher percentage of death, somewhere between 2.5 and 3% of those who contract a die. We're wondering because, you know, without all the testing kits, a lot of people may have very light cases of it and they don't even know they've got it. Some children, they very, very few children are getting it for some reason, uh, which is great that it's not affecting the children so much. But is it a sign of the end? Well, Jesus said there's going to be plagues. Is it one of the seven last plagues? No. It's probably going to have a profound impact on the economy for at least this year because it's, uh, I heard China, 20% of their trade is down uh, we know it's affecting some countries with tourism. Airlines right now are cruises, poor cruise lines. If you want to get a discount, cruise friends, now is the time. <laughs> is it uh, a sign of the ends? Yeah, because I think these things will accelerate. Is the virus itself a particular sign? No, there's, you know, nowhere in prophecy it mentions this particular virus. 
but plagues, pestilence is one of the signs. You know, we do have that uh, free study guide talking about health. It's called God's Free Health Plan and might not specifically mention viruses, but there are some practical principles that the Bible gives that I think it's wise for us to be aware of. And, you know, recognizing that uh, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit and we want to take care of it the very best that we can. And we'll be happy to send it to anyone who calls and asks. It's 800-835-6747 and ask for that study guide called God's Free Health Plan. We've got Michael listening in Ontario, St. Catherine. Michael, welcome to the program. Hi, how you doing? Doing well. Thank you for calling. Yes, uh, I watch your program. I've been up to the BC camp. Um, I I appreciate the work that all the truthers are doing. Um, God bless you. Thank you so much. And your your question tonight? Um, the difference between the Bibles is very important. I figured out for myself. The King James has a uh, verse in Genesis one twenty eight that says, "Replenish the earth." Now, I'd like to bring it to attention that there was a blob of water before the explanation of the creation of Earth. How can we explain this? Say that there was a what of water? There was a flood, you say? No, there was water. Before the creation of the Earth? In, in the universe, before the explanation of the creation of Earth. That's Genesis 1, 2 through 11. Right, and, but why do you think that's a problem? Because, because... Lucifer's name was in heaven and Satan in the Garden of Eden. And when your name changes, so does position and time must pass. So are you thinking that the earth existed with the devil on it before God made Adam and Eve? I'm not sure what you're saying. Um, Yeah, that would be called the gap theory. Now, I would respectfully say that when the word replenish is used there, that is a word that really means to fill And in the original, I believe that Hebrew, it's often used to say, fill the earth. So it's not like the earth had been decimated and God wanted Adam and Eve to refill it. It's God made the earth, tells us about the six days he made it. There were certain elements when he, you know, it was there and he had the elements of matter and water and probably the, some of the various gases and separated them made the continents and the atmosphere. But I don't believe that Lucifer was down here on the earth ruling. He had no right to this planet until Adam and Eve sinned. Uh, it says in Romans, I think it's chapter six, that whoever you obey, that's whose servant you are. And when man chose to listen to the devil instead of God, Lucifer then was, he found a, a beachhead to continue his rebellion against the father. Yeah, I guess I don't, I don't find the gap theory in the Bible. And so I hope you can, uh, forgive us for respectfully disagreeing with that, Mike. Thank you, though, for your question. Appreciate it. Next caller that we have is Melvin listening from Jersey City, New Jersey. Praise the Lord. Hey, thank you for calling. Yes. Um, the prophets between, I was, I was interested in the prophets between Haggai and um, Habakkuk. Oh, Z-E-P-H-A-N-I-A-H. Zephaniah. How you pronounce it again? Zephaniah is one of the, they call them, him a minor prophet, Melvin. And he prophesied during the time of, it says in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. So he lived during the time of this great king. Break is creeping up on us, so I hope you'll forgive us, Melvin. I'll pick up your question when we come back. Don't go away, friends. More questions coming. 
Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly. What if you could know the future? What would you do? What would you change? To see the future, you must understand the past. Alexander the Great becomes king when he's only 18, but he's a military prodigy. 150 years in advance, Cyrus had been named. Rome was violent, they were ruthless, they were determined. The gospel writers see his death as a fulfillment of salvation. This intriguing documentary, hosted by Pastor Doug Batchelor, explores the most striking Bible prophecies that have been dramatically fulfilled throughout history, Kingdoms in Time. Get your copy today. Available now on DVD, Blu-ray, or USB. For more information, visit KingdomsInTime.com. If you enjoy hearing solid biblical answers on Bible Answers Live, you can have those same insights at your fingertips through the Amazing Facts Prophecy Study Bible. The updated hardcover version is available at its lowest price ever and includes the complete set of Amazing Facts 27 study guides, plus a Bible numbers and symbols chart and eight pages of colorful maps. This best ever Bible gives you a biblical cyclopedic index. Words of Christ in Red, Chronology of the Old Testament, along with Doug Batchelor's How to Study the Bible feature, and much more. Call us at AF Bookstore to learn more about it at 1-800-538-7275. The Amazing Facts Prophecy Study Bible stands apart from other Bibles, giving you the same solid answers you hear each week on Bible Answers Live. Order your copy today at afbookstore.com or by calling 1-800-538-7275. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live. Welcome back, listening friends. This is Bible Answers Live. If you've tuned in along the way, we are taking Bible questions from around the country and around the world. Yes, we get them from Africa and Australia and remote corners of the planet. If you have a Bible question, give us a call. The free number here in North America, 800-463-7297. And we invite you to tune in as well on Facebook. It's on the Doug Batchelor Facebook page or the Amazing Facts Facebook page. And just want to tie off a question we had at the bottom of the previous uh, hour. And someone was asking about the prophet Zephaniah. Zephaniah was an ancestor of the good King Hezekiah, who was also a prophet. And he prophesied during the time of good King Josiah, who lived after bad King Manasseh. But it wasn't long after the time of Josiah that um, some wicked 
couple of wicked kings came in, some of his sons, and eventually Jerusalem was destroyed. So Zephaniah probably was a contemporary of the prophet uh, Habakkuk and Jeremiah that prophesied before the Babylonian captivity. And what did you say his name means? Yeah, the name means uh, Yahweh has hidden or Yahweh has treasured. God has hidden or has treasured. Yep, three chapters in the book of Zephaniah. And that was, I think, a question Aaron had. It looks like we've lost his call. Um, who's next, Pastor Ross? we got Becky listening from Michigan. Becky, welcome to the program. Hello, and how are you guys doing? Good. Thank you for calling. And God bless you. Ever for one to five, was, why was there so much opposition? Why were they against the Israelites rebuilding their um, temple in Jerusalem? Well, because they had been gone for 70 years, and since the Israelites were displaced, uh, it was a prime piece of land. The, the Samaritans and the Arabians and these other kingdoms, they were treating it like it was theirs. You know, when the Israelites left, they left a lot of farms and vineyards and orchards just as it was, wells, and, and they kind of all moved into it. And when the Israelites started moving back, they saw it as a mass migration they didn't appreciate. That was one reason. Another reason was when they heard that they were going to build the temple, they said, oh, good, we'll help you build it. We'll all worship together. And they said, no. Your worship of God is very different from our worship of God. And then they were insulted and they became their enemies. So they opposed everything they were doing from that point on. They just were so upset that the Israelites had come back to take the land back again. And we're having that in the world today. You know, the Palestinians are very upset that Jews are coming from different parts of the world and saying, you know, we we want this land back again. We were driven out 1900 years ago by the Romans, but we want it back. Well, they say, well, you've been gone that long. It's not yours anymore. They resent it. And you're having some of the same squabbles today they had back after the Babylonian captivity. Good question, Becky. And you can see this not only in the book of Ezra. You can see there's great opposition in the book of Nehemiah as well when they tried to build the walls. Thank you for your call. We've got uh, next call is Cruz listening from Bakersfield, California. Cruz, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah. I just have a question. Um, when Jesus said that he had to leave because he says, in my father's house, there are many mansions and I will go to prepare a room for you. So my question is, is it like a literal uh, room? And, um, and, but it also says that we'll be able to build our own homes that nobody, we won't build for anyone but ourselves. But what if I just want to stay in that mansion and not go out and build me a home? Great, great question. You know, and if you want to just stay in the city home that Jesus has prepared for you for a few million years and then say, now I think I'll build a country home, you're going to have eternity to think about it. So don't worry. Now, when Jesus used that language, we often say, you know, I got a mansion over the hilltop. The original word, it is dwelling place. It doesn't say mansion in the way we say it in English. And Jesus is using the language of a Jewish wedding. He's basically saying, you know, when a, when a Jewish girl accepted a proposal from a Jewish man, they'd make a wedding covenant. Then they didn't get married right away. He would then go prepare a wedding chamber on his father's house. And when it was complete, he would come and receive his bride. And that's the parable of the ten virgins and the parable of the wedding feast. And there's several parables where he uses marriage language. So this is what Christ is saying, is I'm going to come back for my bride. He'll have a city home. In the New Jerusalem are these mansions, these dwelling places that he's prepared. Keep in mind, the Bible tells us the dimensions of the New Jerusalem 
are about 350 miles square. Now, New York City, I'll give you an amazing fact, the Dallas-Fort Worth Airport has more land than Manhattan. Just the airport in Dallas has more land than Manhattan. And Manhattan's got 8 million people. So if you think about a city 350 miles square, 1,500 miles around, plenty of room for everybody. He's going to build these beautiful dwelling places there, but we'll go forth from the New Jerusalem, it mentions in Malachi 4, and we will plant houses, Isaiah says, and inhabit them and plant vineyards and build them. We'll build houses and inhabit them, plant vineyards, orchards, so forth. I want to go to other planets and, and get vacation homes in other universes or galaxies. <laughs> Yeah, that would be fun, but then also um, it would be fun to stay in that mansion because that's where God dwells, the Father and Jesus, right? That's right. That's right. And it's going to be so good coming home. We'll go out. We're going to go through the cosmos and tell everybody what Jesus has done for us, and then we'll come back and worship him. And I don't think we're going to need a UFO. I'm not sure how we're getting around, but I think we're going to be able to travel really fast. But on that mansion, will we all be able to live there? I mean, from the beginning of time of Adam and Eve, Till the end of time when Jesus comes again for us, will I mean there be enough room in that mansion for all the people of all the generations over six thousand years? Yes, you know if everybody on Earth, now keep in mind we've got about seven point five billion people on Earth today, seven point four billion. Uh, there's more. There, there's enough room in the New Jerusalem for like 20 billion people. That's probably more people than have ever lived. Unfortunately, most people are not saved, so there's plenty of room in the uh, kingdom of God for everybody. And of course, if for some reason it happens to be a little small, God, there's no problem with God expanding the city. You know how you blow up a basketball? You just you put that air pump there and you pump it. God can just pump the world up, make it bigger, more surface area. <laughs> he can right. do anything he wants. All right. Well, thank you for your call, Cruz. We've got uh, Bob listening in Walla Walla. Bob, welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Ross. Good to have you back. Thank you. You're welcome. I was calling about uh, forever. Uh, in Exodus, there's a couple places that talks about um, forever. Exodus 28:43 talks about the priests or something doing something uh, forever. Uh-huh. And then in Exodus 31:17, it talks about keeping the Sabbath forever. So, if forever is forever, then how does one um, uh, have an ending and one doesn't? Well, which one do you think has an ending? Uh, the priests, where it uh, that they do not uh, incur iniquity and die, it shall be a statue forever to him and his descendants after him. Well, it would still be true that you know if if there were Jewish priests today, that they would still you know maintain that holiness. Some of the some of the statements that God made in the covenant to the Israelites. God gave a spiritual analogy later. For example, the covenant of circumcision, it says, is forever. But Paul said, you know, once Jesus died on the cross, now we're talking about circumcision of the heart. So you would be wondering, then why does God say the seventh day is a sign forever? There's nothing that would interfere. There's no substitute for needing physical rest every seventh day and that time of worship. That makes sense. You know, it's to go on forever circumcision was, and you know, one of the ways that I also understand this, the Sabbath day existed before there was sin. 
So it's part of his eternal perfect plan, and we're going to keep it again in heaven, Isaiah 66. So the Sabbath is part of his perfect plan. Circumcision and certain laws about the priests all came after sin because of sin. When Christ comes, you know, even with his first coming, these things wouldn't be necessary anymore. Paul says circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments is what matters. You know, we do have a study guide called The Last Day in History, and people might be wondering about uh, what is the Sabbath day all about? Uh, is it important for us today? We'll be happy to send you this study guide. It's free. All you'll have to do is ask for it. The number is 800-835-6747. And again, just ask for the study guide. It's called The Last Day of History, and I think you'll find it a fascinating study if you've never looked into what the Bible has to say on the subject. Next caller that we have is Emmanuel listening from Africa, an international caller. Emmanuel, welcome to the program. Uh, good good morning, Pastor Doug and Pastor Ross. Hello. Hi. Uh, how are you doing? Doing good. Well, please, my question tonight is in Mark Gospel chapter 5. Um, uh, there were demon-possessed man, and... Uh, Nowadays, he was mad, and nowadays, when I, when I look around, there are mad people around. I think about them a lot. So I'm asking, how are they going to be saved? Because they do not reason as normal human beings. How can people be saved if they're, um, you know, acting demon-possessed? You see, there is still demon possession today, and the Lord does still deliver people from demonic possession. It's usually in response to prayer. It may be their prayers. And it may be the intervention of others, and it may be both. This man in Mark chapter 5 who is saved from the devils, two things are happening. One, Jesus is there. He's come to see him. And the man came to Christ. In spite of the problem that he was being tormented by devils, it says he came and worshipped him. So the man knew he had a problem. The devils don't want to worship him. But what was left of the man inside knew that he needed God's help. And But when he opened his mouth, the devil spoke. Yeah, there are all kinds of people in the world today that are being influenced by the devil. Everybody is harassed by the devil. Uh, some people are harassed more than others. Some are possessed. Some it might be something small. This man in the Bible, he was possessed by a legion of demons, and he was in pretty bad shape, running around naked in the mountains, living in a cave with the dead bodies and surrounded by pigs and covered by chains and breaking chains with his supernatural power. He is exhibit A, Mark 5 is exhibit A of the most hopeless, lost, dirty man in the Bible. But Jesus saved him, so he can save anybody. I got a book I wrote about this called Broken Chains. And a matter of fact, I have a sermon about it online. People can watch for free. Just type in Doug Batchelor Broken Chains, and you'll see that message, Emmanuel. And thank you for calling, and good morning to you in Africa. Next caller that we have is another international caller. We have Joe calling from Guam. I guess not officially international, but a long way away. Welcome, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Mr. The Bachelor, for taking my call. I have a quick question. Uh, do, uh, do we uh, recognize our loved ones in the heaven? If no, then thank you. But if yes, Please give me the scripture. Well, one would be 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, uh, now I know in part, and this is verse 12, but then I shall know even as I am known. So when we get to heaven, the simple question is, are we going to have better discernment and perception or less? Even though grandma in heaven is going to have a new glorified body, she may not be hunched over with wrinkles, 
we are going to have spiritual discernment in heaven that will be enhanced. We are going to immediately know who grandma is. I think absolutely we will recognize each other and it probably will know each other even better than we do now because we're going to have enhanced spiritual powers. Right now we're confined to two dimensions, but we'll be so spirit led then and we'll recognize their spirit and and who they are, even though they've got a physical body, we'll know who, who they are by the essence of them. So, yeah. You know, Pastor Doug, we have that book called uh, Heaven, Is It For Real? And I think it will deal with uh, that same question. Again, we'll be happy to send this to anyone in North America. The number is 800-835-6747. And ask for the book called Heaven, Is It For Real? And, Joe, you can read it online since you're in Guam. We can't mail it to you. Just, yeah, go to the Amazing Facts website. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS. Journey back through time to the center of the universe. Discover how a perfect angel transformed into Satan, the arch-villain. The birth of evil. A rebellion in heaven. A mutiny that moved to earth. Behold the creation of a beautiful new planet and the first humans. Witness the temptation of evil. Discover God's amazing plan to save his children. This is a story that involves every life on earth. Every life. The Cosmic Conflict. If God is good, if God is all-powerful, if God is love, then what went wrong? For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com or call 1-800-538-7275. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS. Next caller that we have is June, listening from Florida. June, welcome to the program. Hey, June, you're on the air. You, I hear the radio in the background, so you may have walked away from the phone. June, going once. June, going twice. Are you there? Yes. Hi. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> uh, yes. Thank you so much, Pastor Doug. And you may want to turn off the radio in the background or you'll get confused by the time delay. And your question. Well, well, here's a question I have. Um, going to church uh, on Saturday, something happened. Something happened like it was so hard for people actually to to hug each other or you know we always fellowship on saturday we hug we handshake now it seems like people are so scared um to actually fellowship uh are we supposed to be fear or scared that uh the coronavirus may have a negative impact on the christian as jesus said that when in the time of moses that they were protected even the plagues were uh on egypt but they were not feared because god had their back had uh, protected them i was supposed to be scared today uh for the coronavirus when you go to church to actually shake hands or hug 
um, our brothers and sisters? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, we had this uh, same experience this weekend. You know, uh, we got together and everyone has been so hypersensitive because probably 20 times a day, we're all hearing, wash your hands, do not touch your face. If you're around anybody sick and, you know, they're very concerned, public health people are very concerned about spreading this. Of course, all of that is good, practical Christian sanitation. Moses in the Levitical laws was one of the first ones to talk about washing when you touch something contaminated or being separated from others. If you know quarantine of someone was unclean. And so some of these laws of sanitation go all the way back to Moses. There's nothing wrong with that. And so if there's an outbreak, if people want to be a little more careful, that's probably prudent. Now, you know, it's during flu season, it's always a good idea because this is a virus to practice the same prevention you would for the flu. In fact, I, I've heard some say that this may be a better flu season than others because people are so careful now with sanitation that the regular flu virus is not touching as many people since this scare. So I don't know if that's true or not, but I, that's kind of anecdotal information I've heard. It doesn't mean it's a lack of faith. If you're living in a high-risk area, if I was in Wunan, China, or in northern Italy right now, uh, yeah, I'd recommend the members don't hug each other. Italians do a lot of hugging and kissing, and if you go to France, I'd never been kissed so much. Argentina, <laughs> some of these places. Yeah, you've got to be careful. When this passes... Uh, people can probably resume being a little more, you know, congenial and demonstrative. But, yeah, folks, I, I stood at the door yesterday and I shake hands just like I always do. And I just be careful not to touch my eyes or my face. And I use sanitizer when I'm done. It's not a lack of faith to practice um, sanitation and common sense. If you're If you're in an area that's low risk or there's no cases of it, then you're probably just as safe as you've always been. Mm-hmm. You know, Pastor, I was just talking about that we have uh, a couple of our church members who are, uh, the one is an ER nurse, and I was talking to them at church, and uh, I guess they had a patient that came in, actually uh, one of the people that passed away from this coronavirus right here in, in the Sacramento area. Um, and he said, you know, we just do the best we can. We wear the gloves, we wear the you know, the mask or whatever we have to do when we work with these patients and then we leave it in the Lord's hands. Mm-hmm. And I think that's practical advice. You do the best you can and then don't worry. Yeah. You can't live in fear. Put it in the Lord's hands. He's going to take care of you. Exactly. Well, thank you. Appreciate your question, June. Next caller that we have is uh, Sosa, I believe, listening from Bakersfield. Sosa, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, uh, Pastor Roth and uh, Pastor Dog. I appreciate you taking my call. My question is um, from the book, uh, first book of John, Chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. Can you please explain those two verses for me? Apparently, there is a sin that leads to death and a sin that doesn't lead to death. Right. Well, of course, the penalty for all sin is death. John is saying, if anyone, let me read it. It's verse 16 and 17 of 1 John chapter 5. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, He will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin that is not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. And now you would think, well, what would you not pray about? I guess he's talking about that if someone has grieved away the Holy Spirit and committed the unpardonable sin, praying about that may not help. But I would think every other person, unless they haven't committed the unpardonable sin, Christians would want to 
witness to, pray for, intercede for, mediate for people that are trying to find salvation that are still, they still have hope. The sin that leads to death that he's talking about here, I think he's talking about the unpardonable sin. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Thank you so very much. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, see, if you like, we have a book that deals with that, and it's called What is the Unpardonable Sin? I believe we cover this verse in that book, and you will enjoy it, or anybody that uh, wants to know more about the subject. The number to call is 800-835-6747. And again, just ask for the book, What is the Unpardonable Sin? And we'll send it to you if you're in North America. Otherwise, you can read it for free online by just going to the Amazing Facts website. We've got Crystal listening in Florida. Crystal, welcome to the program. Thank you for um, answering my uh, for having me on your um, show. I have a question. We had a Bible study, and he said that immortal life is conditional. You have to eat the fruit tree of life, fruit of life, when you go to heaven to have eternal life. But the way I understand it, on First Corinthians fifteen, that when Jesus comes, our mortal will be immortality, and death will be thrown. I know death will be a sting. So why is it immortal? Um, why is that conditional? Well, I believe that we have eternal life when Christ comes and when the righteous, when we get our glorified bodies. And that doesn't mean we won't be eating from the tree of life because Revelation chapter, what is it, chapter 22, says that uh, there is the tree of life in the new earth and we will eat from that tree once again. And we have real bodies in heaven. You know, right now we've lost our spiritual dimension. Some people say, well, we're going to just be spirits up there. But the Bible's very clear. We're going to have real bodies. Christ, when he rose from the dead, he ate in front of the disciples on three, two occasions that I can think of. We will eat from the tree of life. There will be benefits from that that help to maintain the um, eternal vitality or re-energize us. I'm not sure. But it says we're going to plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. So we still eat. We still drink in heaven. We're going to drink the water of life. Well, I believe that, too. And I, I just couldn't understand when we had a Bible study that says conditional. I just never figured it to be conditional because Jesus... We'll have eternal life, and it's, it's unconditional at that point. I mean, once we're saved, we're saved for eternity. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. So in heaven, it's not that God takes away our freedom, but sin will not rise up the second time. And that's in the book Nahum, is it chapter 2? Yeah, sin affliction will not rise up again the second time. Thank you, Crystal. Appreciate your call and hope that helps a little bit. Next caller that we have is Mike listening from uh, Massachusetts. Mike, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for having me. Hi, Pastor Doug. Thanks Hi, for... Mike. Hey, we've got uh, two minutes. Can we do this quickly? Yes, I think we can. So my question concerns character. And the question is, do we have to reach the point of overcoming all sin? Do we have to be perfect before Christ's second coming? And where does grace, as I understand the bridge between humanities and perfect state in heaven, you know, f fit in? You know, the transformation of our characters that take place before his coming? Do our natures have to be pure and holy? Do we have to have the mind of Christ? The Bible tells us in Hebrews that we need to uh, strive for holiness without which no one will see God. And just as Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. So how perfect do we need to be? We need to love the Lord the same way that Daniel loved the Lord so that he would not deny him, but he said, I'll go to the lion's den. Kind of love that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, I'm not going to pray to graven images. We love the Lord. We want to honor him. And the great commandment, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But the real question you're asking is, who out there feels like they're perfect enough? Nobody. So how perfect do you need to be to be saved? 
we've got a book we're going to offer because I don't have time to finish. (laughs) So the book is uh, Can You Live Without Sinning? Great book by Joe Cruz. I hope everybody, go to the website and look that up. Don't let the title scare you. It's a great book. Is it possible to live without sinning? And just go to amazingfacts.org. Mike, I hope that helps a little bit. And for our friends that are listening, it wouldn't be fair to you in the remaining 38 seconds of our live time together to take another call. We hope you'll give us a chance. We see you standing there, uh, Tia and Vicky and Gail and Carl and Lee. We're so sorry we didn't get your calls tonight. Give us a call again next week. And friends, if you are blessed by this program, if you're instructed or encouraged, it's we're 100% supported by folks like you listening. You can go to Amazing Facts and just click donate. Keep us on your station. Thank you so much and God bless. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California. Does your heart burn for a better purpose? Do you yearn to do more with your faith? Do you desire to be a powerful witness, a blaze for Jesus Christ? Where do you start? Make your first step at AFCO, the Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism. Here at AFCO, I've learned so many things and my spiritual growth has just skyrocketed. AFCO has distilled 50 years of Amazing Facts evangelistic expertise into a dynamic, professional, and educational experience that transforms the nervous Christian into a prepared and bold witness. AFCO is really about learning while doing. It's a -a one-of-a-kind experience for those who are serious about entering gospel ministry and those who simply want to make an impact in their local churches and communities. Go to AFCO.org today and explore this life-changing program. AFCO, equipping soul winners, setting the world ablaze for God. Can't get enough Amazing Facts Bible study? You don't have to wait until next week to enjoy more truth-filled programming. Visit the Amazing Facts Media Library at AFTV.org. At AFTV.org, you can enjoy video and audio presentations as well as printed material all free of charge. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, right from your computer or mobile device. Visit AFTV.org. For life-changing Christian resources, visit AFBookstore.com. Did you know Amazing Facts has a free Bible school that you can do from the comfort of your own home? It includes 27 beautifully illustrated study lessons to aid in your study of God's Word. Sign up today for this free Bible study course by calling 1-844-215-7000. That's 1-844-215-7000. If you'd like to enhance your study of God's Word, visit our website at www.amazingfacts.org and sign up for our free Bible study course. And make sure to check out our online bookstore at afbookstore.com, which offers thousands of inspiring books, DVDs, and more to help you get the most out of God's Word. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org.